0: Greetings Longview Point Church family and welcome visitors. I'm Trey Clinney, I'm your discipleship pastor and I'm so honored to be able to welcome you today as we gather all across the place, all across the county, all across this area in homes and different venues to to worship Jesus. We have a savior that is on his throne and I just wanna encourage you this morning that no matter what we're going through, God is good. He is sovereign. He is in control, and he is using these things for his glory. So I'm so thrilled that you're tuning in to be able to worship and just praise God through song and to be able to grow in him through the preaching of his word. I want to encourage you while I have this opportunity. If you are tuning in today and you are not currently a member of or visiting a connect group, I would love to help you and encourage you to help to find a connect group. Um, Our connect ministry exists to expand God's kingdom across the street and around the world. And we do that by making disciples that make disciples. And this is a time where we need each other. And this is a time where we need encouragement. We need people praying for us and speaking truth to us. And so we have connect groups that are meeting at different times and places, many on Sunday afternoons through the internet and we can help you connect, get connected with a group and be able to visit them. It's a great opportunity to to do that. Um, I want to encourage you, if you are going through some hard times, if you're going through uh, some anxious times, please let us know as a church staff how to be praying for you. You can email us at prayer at longviewpoint.org and we can pray over that as a staff. We, we meet several times a week and pray together, and it is our honor to be able to lift you up in this season. And also, if, if you have any needs, uh, please, please reach out and let us know. You can call the church office, and we would be so glad to know how to minister to you in this season. There's a lot going on, and, and we recognize that there are folks that have even financial needs. Let us know. And, and one more thing. If, um, if, you're, if you're just thinking you're lonely, I wanna encourage you, reach out to folks. You're not the only one. This is a great time for us to be the church and to love on each other, to to use the the mediums that we have. Maybe it's through um, the internet or even through telephone. This is a great time just to check on each other, to pray together, to really be the church. So as we are making history together, as God is using this to grow us and to stretch us and to maybe even make us more sympathetic with people around the world who can't meet regularly, let, let's, ha, let's let him have his way in us and let's be stretched and let's grow into the image of our Savior. Let me pray, and we're going to continue to worship him this morning. Father, we do come before you asking that you would do that in our lives, that you would use this time, that you would use these things that seem uncertain in our lives to teach us to be that much more desperate for you. Lord, today we recognize that you are in control. You are God Almighty. You are all-powerful. God, you are always everywhere. You are never caught by surprise. And so today I ask that you would help us to rest in you. Lord, help us to, to guide our emotions by the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to, to be the church. God, help us to be salt and light to those around us. Lord, give us opportunity to encourage others with the gospel. Lord, give us opportunity to preach the gospel to ourselves and to be reminded, Lord, that you are on your throne. And Lord, I pray that you would use this time to teach us all to rest in you, to draw near to you, to be still and know that you are God, that you would use this time to teach us to long for heaven, to long for eternity where there will be no suffering. God, we thank you for the privilege it is to be your children. We thank you for this time to to worship you. I pray that you would, God, be glorified, and I pray that you would use this as a time to encourage us as we praise your name. And we ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen.
1: I raise a hallelujah In the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody I raise a hallelujah heaven comes to fight for me and I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder you're gonna hear i
2: Sing a little louder. Oh, sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Let's sing it
1: out. Sing, sing a little louder.
2: louder. In the presence of my enemies. Sing a little louder. Oh, louder than the unbelief. We'll oh, sing a little louder. My weapon is a melody. Sing a little louder. As heaven comes to fight for me. Sing a little louder In the presence
1: of my enemies oh, Sing a little louder oh, Louder than the unbelief Sing a little louder Smile,
2: happiness and melody oh, Sing a little louder Heaven comes to fight for me oh, Sing a
1: little louder I'm gonna sing In the middle of the storm Louder and louder, you gotta hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you gotta hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive bless you Lord you're worthy of our praise you're worthy of our adoration you are worthy of everything that we can give father because you gave everything for us when we were separated from you Lord you came down and you lived a perfect life died on the cross for us shed your blood for us and rose victoriously from the grave and we just want to we just want to say thank you this morning we just want to say we love you this morning we bless you Father, we bless you in Jesus' name. There were walls between us By the cross You came and broken down you broken down There were chains around us By Your grace we are no longer bound No longer bound You called me out of the grave You called me into the light You called my name and then my heart came alive Is shaking, all the dead are coming back to life, coming back to life, here's a song awaken. All creation singing, we're alive, cause you're alive. You call me out of the grave, you call me into the light. you call my name, and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. And what a love we found that can hold us down. We shout it out. We're I've been one.
2: My sins were gone, my failures and my broken life were washed in blood. The day you died, your mercy and your majesty amazes me, amazes me. I once was blind, but now all I can see Is your mercy and your majesty
1: The cross of shame Our Savior bore The weight of sin
2: is ours no more and what a fear to be defeated has now become our victory your mercy and your majesty
1: amazes me amazes me And now all
2: I can see Is your mercy and your majesty In what I was I am no more All my life surrendered All my life surrendered To you alone I owe it all All my life forever All my life forever And what I was Oh, I am no more All my life surrendered All my
1: life surrendered To you alone Oh, I owe it all forever all my life forever yours your mercy and your majesty amazes me amazes me i once was blind but now
2: all i can see your mercy and your majesty oh your mercy and your majesty
1: amazes me amazes me I once was blind but now all I can see is your mercy heart will sing how great is our God. Let's just sing that together. He's the name above all names. our God, the splendor of a King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, that all the earth rejoice. Trembles at His voice. He trembles at His voice. How great is our God? Oh, sing with me! How great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our God.
3: format I hope things are going smoothly for you at home that you're being creative and finding ways to be about the work of expanding his kingdom across the street and around the world Uh, naturally we look forward to being together again under normal circumstances but for now this will have to do I want to encourage you if you would to take your Bibles and to set aside distractions to find a place that you can uh, be for the next several minutes concentrated on the study of God's Word Uh, My counsel is that we treat our uh, sitting down together in an online format much the way we would gathering on Sunday morning. So uh, think in terms of gathering in our worship center and uh, the the posture that you might take and uh, the the mentality that you might have toward this time and try to bring that uh, into the next few minutes and let's focus together our attention on the study of God's word. The passage before us this morning is 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at verses sixteen through twenty four. First John chapter three, verses sixteen through twenty four. I think this is a terribly important topic. We're going to talk about uh, the topic of assurance or eternal security. This is an issue that is central to first John um, and John's concern to his audience here. It's a concern that God's Word has for us throughout the New Testament, but it's really pressed upon here in the epistle of of 1st John. I think in every congregation that I preach to Sunday by Sunday, special events, or here at home with you guys within that congregation there there are among others two groups of people. There are those who are confidently assured of their salvation with no justifiable cause to be. In other words they have a false assurance There are those who are there who lack assurance, but who possess a genuine saving faith in Jesus. Now, both of these are tragic. God intends for the true believer to have a confident assurance of his or her salvation so that we might stand on the day of judgment in absolute boldness, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But there is added tragedy in the reality that there are many walking about with an assurance of salvation that they cannot legitimately claim for themselves. In fact, Jesus says that on the day of the judgment, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord, have we done not many mighty works in your name? And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. So what I hope to do this morning is to provide us with some test of assurance or some means by which we may be confidently assured of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Look for these assurances in the passage that's before us. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 16. God's Word says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down His life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. Even if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience, and He knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. Now this is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, And love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given to us. May the Lord bless the reading, the teaching, and the study of his word here this morning. There are a handful of assurances that are given to us throughout the book of 1 John. In these five chapters, again, a major focus is ensuring that the people of God have assurance of their salvation. As we've talked about over the last several weeks, we have this party who was once within the church but now are outside the church. And they are presumably challenging the legitimacy of the salvation of those who remain a part of the church. They were among us, but they went out from us, for they were not of us. Apparently, their accusations have um, stung many of those within the church. There are those who seem to be doubting, who seem to be wondering. There's concern in chapter 4 of 1 John and next week's passage. That there be the ability to discern the Spirit, whether what they're feeling or sensing or uh, what is being taught or communicated in the outside party is true or false. John helps us to discern between the true Spirit and, and the false Spirit. But here in verses 16 through 24, we have something of a summary. You run across a number of summaries in 1 John. His, a uh, knack for going back to the same topics again and again, dealing with them in, in greater detail. Here we're given four ways that we might discern uh, our salvation, that we can have assurance or security in our salvation in Jesus Christ. I want you to track with me, this, with me this morning, and I want you to note that each of these assurances also have a counter. For instance, I'll say in a moment that our actions can build assurance, It is also true that our actions can undermine our assurance when we conduct ourselves in a manner that's not consistent with our confession of faith in Jesus. So I want you to think about these. Do I possess uh, this gift, this assurance? Is it present in my life? Or or is it something quite the opposite that would undermine a confident assurance that I have eternal salvation in Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life? Look back to verse number 16. We have a transition from last week's passage into the focus of this week's passage. Last week, we were encouraged strongly by John. In fact, we were commanded by God that we would love our neighbor, that we would love brother. Verse 16 says, this is how we've come to know love. In other words, this is the definition of love. This is how you understand love. This is how love is defined by God. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. So this is it. This is the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. It's not purely emotional, although there is an emotional element to the love that we uh, give to those around us. It's, It's more than just the acts that we do. But it is a depth of affection that is such that it moves us to take action. John continues in verse 17, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? And, and we're, we're warned that we don't just love on an affectionate level without real actions, but to love in truth and in action. Love is an, an action verb. We, we are to do something as a response to the affections that we feel. I, I am firmly convinced that even at times when we may struggle to feel real affection for the people that God has clearly called us to minister to or to be of, of service to, and I've seen this at work within the context of marriage and family many, many times that our heart follows after our treasure. When we begin to invest in those God has called us to serve, when we begin to invest in those that God has called us to love, our heart follows after that. So yes, there's an element of affection about the love that we're to exhibit to those around us, but there's also a strong element of action. It's the idea, the same idea of faith and works uh, working together in the epistle of James. Here it's, it's love, affection, and actions working together. The the definition, the embodiment of this kind of love is the love that Jesus has shown us. This is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. That is, we are to embrace the inconvenient. That is, we are to lean into the pain and the sadness and the sorrow and the difficulty and the frustrations that can often come with loving those around us, loving the people in our life around us. It's it's evidence that there is no sacrifice that is so great that it would discount the call of God on our life to love those around us. As Jesus loved us and laid down his life for us, as Jesus loved the mob that cried, crucify him, crucify him, as he prayed for them, father forgive them for they know not what they do. So God has called us to love those around us. He's called us to put feet to our prayers, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, so to speak, to feel in our heart a deep abiding compassion, mercy, kindness, gentleness, love for those around us and then to be willing to follow after those affections with action that can remedy the needs of of those around us. He says here, if you see someone in need, if you possess Uh, the world's goods, you have the means of addressing that need, and close your eyes to them, how can God's love abide or reside in you? We are compelled by the love that we have experienced in Christ to demonstrate a, a similar love to those around us. Now look to verse 18. Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence, even if our conscience condemns us that God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. So there's, there's two parts to that passage. We don't just love on uh, the level of affections, but in actions. That is, our actions, our conduct, our behavior can serve as an assurance to us. Verse 19 begins with that phrase that we've become accustomed to in 1 John. This is how we know, or in the future tense here in verse 19. This is how we will know we belong to the truth. This is how you may have assurance of your salvation. Because we will love those around us. We exhibit the kind of Christ like love that God has called us to. And as we discussed in last week's passage, This is a love that we don't have the capacity in our natural man to exhibit to the world around us. We find the ability to love as Jesus has loved us through the life-giving, liberating power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. That means that we are bound to the ways of dead men. The ways of dead men are hatred and hostility and anger and animus and unforgiveness. That is who we are apart from the gospel. So really what John is saying here is some of what we said in last week's message that when we find ourselves having the ability to love as Jesus has called us to love, It's evidence of the work of the spiritual man and not the natural man that we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. That the presence of the Spirit of God in us, by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having awakened us from our deadness in sin, has enabled us to love those around us. Assurance is granted when we examine the fruit in our life and we see that it's consistent with a good tree. When we're bearing the kind of fruit that's evidence of the work of the Spirit in us, we derive from that a confidence that we are indeed who we profess that we are in Jesus. Love for brothers serves to be an assurance. Obedience to Jesus Jesus and his word in general um, is a, a means of some assurance. Jesus says repeatedly in the Gospel of John, "...if you love me, obey my commandments." In other words, if you do love me, the result of that love for me will be your faithful obedience to what I have commanded you to do. Now, I can't tell you the number of times through the years that I've counseled with people or been in conversations with people who struggled over uh, the issue of assurance, knowing that they were genuinely saved. And in most instances, it's the result, they're struggling, their concerns, their, their worry is the product of what they see in their own life. And most of the time, what they want the pastor to do is to say something that can alleviate their guilt or soothe their conscience or allow them to move very quickly beyond these concerns and, and, and be free from that, from that burden. And almost all the time, I I resist that because usually, again, it is the result of some misdeed, mistake, or overt sin in their life that they have failed to deal with. And I just frankly don't want to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, people begin to look at their life, they see certain behaviors there And they wonder how I can be who I say I am with this type of conduct while doing or participating, practicing this type of sin. Something is not adding up here. Is it my salvation? So the the desire is to run to a doctrinal fix for the concern rather than addressing the presence of the sin in the individual's life. Now there is a great safety net for us and there's security and there is hope in spite of the presence of sin in our life. There is no question about that. 2 Timothy 2:13 says, "When we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself." Even at our worst, it is ultimately and finally the power of the gospel that rescues us from our sin. On my worst day, I'm as saved as I am on my best day. And I wouldn't trust my best day to win favor with God for one minute. But I am confident, even on my worst day, that the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is sufficient to atone for my sin and to merit favor in the eyes of the Father. Our actions often can build confidence or assurance of our salvation, or they may undermine Uh, any assurance or confidence in our salvation that we might ultimately have. There's a second thing that's already picked up on in verses 19 and 20. Go back to verse 19. This is how we know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. You may have a translation that reads conscience as heart. The more literal translation is actually heart and some liberty is taken here in the Holman Uh, translating this as conscience, but but the essence is essentially the same. The seed of our emotions or our affections, um, that aspect of our person that discerns uh, right versus wrong, that experiences or senses guilt. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and will convince our heart or our conscience in his presence, even if our conscience condemns us that God is greater than our conscience or our heart and he knows all things. The idea here is that our conscience, or our heart, can build assurance. Now, I'm framing these points in very deliberate ways. We've said first, our actions can build assurance. That doesn't mean necessarily that our actions will build assurance. They may undermine assurance, as we said a moment ago. It's also true that our conscience can build assurance. But it's not always true that our conscience is a good guide for us in discerning right from wrong, good from evil, assurance, uh, true assurance, or false assurance. But a conscience rightly shaped by the Word of God, a conscience that has been formed and developed in a healthy gospel-centered way, can be a means of building our assurance in, in our eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. I, I, I want you to notice that conscience here is not held up as a certain source of assurance. Again in verse 13, this is how we will know and will convince our conscience in his presence, even if our conscience condemns us that God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. So so the heart, the conscience can be a means of assurance. But not necessarily, John says. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what your conscience says. It doesn't matter what your heart says. What matters is what God says. Just because you feel good about doing something does not mean that what you're doing is right. For that matter, just because you feel bad about doing something doesn't mean that what you're doing is necessarily wrong. We can think of lots of examples throughout the history of the church when various activities have been deemed to be evil or wicked and it was simply something that was born out of the culture or a misunderstanding of the scripture in that particular era. I think about um, my grandmother and her position on dancing and cards. And, uh, and, and there's lots of jokes there, but I, I, think, I think you get what I mean here. Sometimes we have in our mind that a certain activity is necessarily bad, and on the other side, there are times when we have in our mind that a certain activity is necessarily good, our hearts, our conscience cannot be the final authority for anything that we do. Ultimately, it is God's Word that guides us, that directs us in discerning good from evil, right from wrong, true assurance from false assurance. Now, if your, if your conscience is guilt-ridden, that needs to be addressed. There are a number of passages in the New Testament po- that point to the fact that violating our conscience is in and of itself sinful. But that, of course, assumes that our conscience has been rightly shaped by the Word of God. There's only one remedy. There's only one resolution to this issue. To, again, have your conscience, your worldview, the way you think about things, the way you see things around you shaped by the Word of God. And there's only one way to get at that. It is by immersing yourself in the teaching of God's Word. On a certain level, the the direction here is, as much as is possible, uh, be led by, be assured by your conscience, a clean conscience. But there's a warning implied strongly here in the passage that the conscience is not the final authority when it comes to our assured standing in Jesus. You can be as sincere as anyone has ever been sincere and be sincerely wrong. You want to be certain that your conscience is shaped by the Word of God and the Word of God alone. That what we find in the Scripture is the final authority with regards to our standing before Jesus and certainly with regards to the things that we do from one day To the next. So, our conscience can build assurance, but there's a heavy and serious caveat to that particular point. Here's a third thing, and I think that this is the ultimate um, means of assurance. This is either the ultimate means of assurance or this is the undoing of any false assurance that we have whatsoever. Our convictions, without qualification, what we believe is a source of great assurance. M- many times when people struggle with assurance of their salvation at the root of their wrestling is, is bad theology, is a misunderstanding of the gospel. And, and it might not be that their understanding is so broken or so off track that they're not a truly born again person. It may be that they've uh, not yet matured into a full understanding of the power of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. In verse 21 John says, Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we can receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. Now this is His command, in other words this is where John boils it down, he says these are the nuts and bolts, these are the basics, the black and white, about which there is no negotiation. Now this is His command. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. Th- this is it. This is the command. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And I would just ask you, what do you believe? If, you're, if this morning you're looking for assurance of your salvation, this is question number one. What do you believe about the gospel? What do you believe about the person and the work of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that God sent his only son who lived without sin, who died on the cross in our place, who rose again the third day, who ascended to the right hand of God, who beckons that we would come to him? Do you believe the word of God when God speaks clearly that whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. At some point, it really all boils down to that, right? If if you believe the Bible or not, do you genuinely believe what the Bible says about the perfect person of Jesus, about the finished work of his sacrifice, about the victory of his resurrection, about his lordship over all the earth? He's been given all authority, both in heaven and on earth. Do you really believe what the Bible says about Christ imparting salvation? That we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. That we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. The dangerous element or aspect of our concentration in John's passage on our actions as a means of assurance is that many interpret that or hear that in a way that's just wrong-headed and out of sync with the gospel. You'll find people who believe that because they've done a certain sin, there's a mistake in their past, or maybe that they do something that they do in the here and now, that somehow it voids the promise of God for them. It's a doctrinal misunderstanding. You didn't do anything to save yourself from sin. You can't do anything to undo salvation in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace. That means it's something that we did not deserve. We are saved Through faith, that is, believing on Jesus' name. And that faith doesn't derive from you. It's the gift of God, the Bible says. There is hope and there is assurance in that reality. I want you to be careful that you don't hear what we say about this passage in an entirely negative light. In other words, I I want you to be looking for, yes, these ways of measuring yourself in the event that you have false assurance. Good, good doctrinal teaching ought, ought to bring uh, trouble to the heart of the unbeliever, but it ought to bring assurance to the believer. I want you to be thinking and listening in a positive way as well to what John is saying here. If you have believed the true gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have entrusted your soul to a good and faithful God, if you are taking your rest in the perfect peace provided by Jesus and Jesus alone. If you have come to the realization that your works cannot save you, they can only condemn you. But the perfect work of Jesus Christ is sufficient to save you from your sin. You have every reason this morning to be at perfect peace and absolute confidence that on the day of judgment you will hear from the Father, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Spurgeon used to say in sermons on assurance, and he was one of the greatest at preaching on the doctrine of assurance or eternal security, that the the reason he said that I am most confident that I am truly born again in Jesus is because even after all these years the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ warms my heart. We sing it in an old hymn. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. We never get over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, what is it that you believe about the gospel? At some point, Eternal security is as simple as evaluating, examining what it is that we believe about God and His only Son, Jesus Christ. Now, one way to sort of evaluate our faith is by looking at how we adhere to other commands in the scripture. We don't get to handpick the things that we want to believe, those things Um, that we read in a favorable light and then set aside those things that we want to be dismissive of or that don't accord with the way that we determine we'll live our life. Having salvation in Jesus means that he's the Lord over our life, that he ultimately and finally dictates to us what we do. When we refer to Jesus as Lord, it's not just a polite title. It's a a description of who he is in our life. He is lording over our life. He is our ultimate and final master. Jesus Christ is king. That knowledge really settles everything for us. It is our hope, our strength, our stay, our assurance. You can have eternal security, assurance, because of the finished work of Jesus. Now, you'll find this tested in a variety of ways. There'll be seasons in your life when you're deeply troubled. There'll be seasons in your life when it seems as though everything is going the wrong way for you. This may be that kind of season for you right now. You'll find yourself, I found myself, in seasons of some spiritual barrenness. When there just wasn't the enthusiasm that there needed to be for the prayer closet or for your personal devotional life and you're just sort of trudging through and maybe you're checking some boxes, but you really know that your heart is not ultimately and finally in it. And then you come under, distra- under duress even under those circumstances and your immediate reaction is to run to Jesus. Your, your initial thought is, in spite of all of this, there's still Jesus. My, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He is my strength and my stay, the anchor for my soul. Do you really know that? Or how about in the best of times when everything is going your way and you're on cloud nine and everything's clicking off the way you had imagined it would. And, and, and there might be, um, in a worldly way, a tendency to drift off and to focus on, on other things. But in the middle of all of that, you're you're sort of brought back to earth and you're reminded that this is all passing away, that this is fleeting, that this life is but a vapor. But what awaits us on the other side is an immeasurable weight of glory in Jesus Christ, that on the other side is a crown of righteousness that makes all the petty things of this world seem small and insignificant. Our convictions What we believe about Jesus are the surest source of assurance that we have. It just just is. Ultimately, what do we believe about Jesus? That is the determining factor. That really is what decides our fate. Ultimately and finally, the, the new birth having produced in us great confidence and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Here's a fourth thing. The Spirit of God grants assurance. We're we're evaluating our actions. Jesus said a good tree bears good fruit. We're looking at the way we're living our life. We want to see that we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit with a conscience shaped by the Word of God. We we have a clear conscience before God, always secret sin, but but there's an affirming feeling in our heart about our faithfulness to walk after Jesus Christ. We're walking worthy of our calling. We've evaluated our convictions to see that our understanding of the gospel, that our understanding of Jesus is accurate, is right, is wholesome, is is true, is true gospel oriented. And, And in all of that, the Spirit grants us assurance. Look back to verse number 24. The Bible says here the one who keeps his commands remains in him or abides in him. You keep his commands, you are abiding in him, a branch in the true vine. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. In other words, in the process of abiding in his commandments, and there are a number of things that are attached to this idea of remaining in him or abiding in him, but the two primary uh, features of abiding in Jesus seem to be loving God, believing the gospel, obey, or, 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 which is exemplified in our uh, keeping the commandments, and then loving brothers. So keep commandments and love God. This is the main way, the main, primary means of abiding in Him. But there's something more that's happening in this. Not only are we abiding in Him, but He is abiding in us. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. We know that he abides in us because of the assurance granted by the presence of the spirit in us. Now, this is a little bit tricky to quantify here, um, but it's an important truth. When our actions are indicative of a life of faithfulness to Jesus, when our, our, our conscience is cleaned before God and that of conscience shaped by the Word of God, when our convictions are true to the teaching of God's Word, when they are truly gospel convictions, the Spirit of God grants assurance that not only do we abide in Jesus, but that Jesus abides in us us. Now, this is the segue into chapter 4, which we'll look at, Lord willing, on next week, where John helps us to test the spirits to determine if they're from God, because there are many false prophets who've gone out into the world. Now, the warning that John's going to give us, here's the preview of next week's message, is this, that there are a lot of spirits that are active in the world around us today. And you need to be careful that your spiritual feelings are spiritual feelings that are driven by the Word of God, that the Spirit that is leading you is truly the Spirit of God. We see a lot of things out there today that are cast as spiritual things. And the scary thing about that is that in many instances they may, may well be. But evaluating them against the Word of God clearly leads to the conclusion that although they are spiritual in nature. They are being led by or worked out by the power of a Spirit that is not of God. Anytime there's an activity or a behavior that doesn't accord with the Word of God, you can be confident that it's not the Spirit of God that is behind them. As our actions are bearing out the presence of the Spirit in our life and the fruit of the Spirit, as a conscience shaped by the Word of God stands clean and confident before the judgment bar, of God, not just at the end but on an everyday basis. Our convictions evaluated against the truth of Scripture. The Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, grants us confidence and boldness that we are who we say we are by confession. I, I, there are times when I, I run into people who are genuinely born again, who are struggling with quest, questions of assurance which I find to be a sad thing. God intends that we would have assurance of our faith. As we get toward the end of our study in 1 John, we'll come to the last purpose statement in the book, in chapter 5 and verse 13, where John says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. God intends that we could have assurance of our salvation, that we could... Be confident that we are who we say we are in Jesus. I want for the true believer listening this morning to know assuredly that your feet have been planted on gospel ground. I was reading through some of Spurgeon's sermons. I mentioned earlier that uh, no one preached assurance of salvation like Spurgeon preached assurance of salvation. He was speaking of those who early in their faith wrestle with salvation. They may be chronologically further along in their faith, but remaining in a place of immaturity. Here's a quote from Spurgeon. It's lengthy, but it's worth our time. He said, Their mistake seems to be this. They look for ripe fruit upon a tree in spring, and because that season yields nothing but blossoms, they conclude the tree to be barren. They go to the head of a river, and they find it a little rippling brook, and because it will not float a great eastern, they conclude that it will never reach the sea, and that in fact it is not a true part of the river at all. They look upon themselves as being little children, and such they are. But because they cannot speak plainly on account of having been so newly born, they therefore conclude that they are not the children of God at all. They see strong men in Christ Jesus performing great exploits, And because they are as yet but young and feeble, they conclude that they're not in the family of grace. They compare themselves with giants of the church of God. And then because they rightly perceive the difference between themselves and these mighty ones, they imagine that they are not saved and that they cannot be numbered among the faithful and have no part nor lot in this matter." They put the last things first. They make comforts essentials. They consider that which is the fruit of grace to be the root of grace. And herein they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. You may be looking at your life and you're at a place of immaturity. You're new in your relationship with Jesus. I, I hope that there's some of you who found faith in Jesus even over the last weeks and this Season of isolation that God has been at work in the hearts of many of you who are listening this morning. The ultimate and final judge, the ultimate and final assurance, is is truly what we believe about Jesus. There ought to be conviction and there ought to be remorse about the presence of sin in our life. We ought to hear and we ought to heed a conscience well-shaped by the teaching of God's Word. But you must know, brothers and sisters, you must know with absolute certainty that it is the finished work of Jesus that saves us from our sin and no contribution of our own. There are a number of ways that this message stands to work itself out and a number of challenges that might be sorted through this morning. I worry, yes, about the believer who's wrestling with an absence of assurance, who just doesn't feel security in their salvation. I want you to know that we can have security. That security doesn't primarily come from us. It comes from God. And so we pray and we pray and we pray that God would be pleased to grant that security. In my experience, God often grants that security by granting repentance. Uh, The remorse and the guilt and the sorrow that leads us to the lack of assurance, turns our heart, begins to do a refining, sanctifying work in our life, and we see the Spirit of God dealing with the presence of sin in our life. I want for the believer that has no assurance to walk away from this morning's message with a glad heart and confidence in Christ that your salvation is ultimately finished in Jesus. What he has begun in you, he will bring to perfection. I hope and my prayer is that this message would have the effect of breaking up the false assurances of of some. I don't think that we've talked about assurance in the last 50 plus years of Southern Baptist life in the healthiest of ways. This is one of those essential non-negotiable doctrines of the church. And somewhere along the way, we've lost the ability to communicate clearly about this matter. Listen carefully to what I say and and be careful that you hear what I say and be careful that you hear what I don't say here. When I was saved and began to attend church, I would hear people say things like, Once saved, always saved. And usually that rolled off the lips of someone who meant that as, uh, as though we have a certain license to sin because of a transaction that took place in our past. We prayed a prayer, we walked down an aisle, we were baptized or became members of some church, and it usually was intended to mean that therefore, as a result of those things in our past, membership, baptism, etc., that now I can just live any way that I want to live and I can be at peace doing so because of that transaction in my past. I, I despise the language of once saved always saved. Now I believe with all of my heart that when a person is truly born again by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ there is no power of hell, no scheme of man That could ever pluck us from the hand of Jesus. You didn't do anything to earn it therefore you can't do anything to lose it. Salvation is finished in Jesus. It is eternally secure in gospel ground. He is the anchor for our soul but historically the way we have referred to that doctrine and I believe the more healthy and biblical way to speak to our eternal security is to talk about the perseverance of the saints that when a person is truly born again by the power of the gospel, he or she will persevere with God until the end. When you think about the New Testament and the way salvation is evaluated, the way the legitimacy or the sincerity of a person's confession is evaluated, it is not so much about the way they begin the race. All must begin by faith and repentance. But again, all begin by faith and repentance. The ultimate evaluation in the New Testament is the way a person finishes the race. If you look at the writings of Paul, he often speaks as though his salvation is is up in the air. There are passages that people struggle with and, and wrestle with in reading Paul's letters. They ask, is Paul suggesting somehow that he could lose his salvation? No, he's evaluating himself in a very New Testament way. He says, I don't want to disqualify myself from this race that I'm now running. I want to be careful that I don't do anything that would beset me in the race of faith. But when we come to the end of Paul's life, he says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there awaits for me the crown of righteousness. If an individual has been truly born again by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will persevere with God. But more importantly, God will persevere with them. Persevere in Jesus. Be driven to finish the race of faith well, knowing that a crown of righteousness has been laid up for you. On the one hand, I hope that there are a lot of people listening with great assurance, and and that's a good thing. But I have found that there are really two groups that make up the, the great assurance camp. There are those who are truly standing on gospel ground. And then there are those who are far from God, so much so that their conscience has become seared, their heart has become hardened, Their almost constant exposure to the gospel has left them with familiarity fatigue. And the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ no longer surprises them. It no longer amazes them. It's no longer shocking or astonishing. But because there was some transaction in their past, they raised their hand in a vacation Bible school or they prayed a sinner's prayer that they barely understood if they understood at all or because they were baptized as an infant, or as a small child and became a member of the church. They're confident, they're assured, in spite of the absence of any fruit of the Spirit in their life. You should, as Paul says, examine yourselves to see that you're in the faith. There ought to be two ways we walk away from this message this morning. With unbounded joy and gladness in our heart, That Christ has saved us and there is nothing that can undo what Jesus has ultimately and finally done for us. Or with great concern, with fear and trepidation, uh, unsure of your eternal destiny. There are people who wrestle with this matter for far too long. And I would just say to you this morning, if you do not have assurance of your salvation, you should not rest until you do. This is far too important a matter to leave undecided. This is, this is, this is not a secondary issue, brothers and sisters. This is of first importance. And the reality is that Jesus has said that there won't just be a few, but there'll be many on that day who say to him, Lord, Lord, To which he responds, depart from me, I never knew you. I think this is our great battle in the Bible Belt South. Our war is not like the Apostle Paul who worked among the Gentiles, people who knew they did not identify with the God of the Jews or the Christians. Our battle is among the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In the midst of a people who believe themselves to be right before God, they have believed on some superficial level that has left them unfazed, unaffected, and unchanged. And because of that superficial belief, they believe themselves to be right when they are altogether wrong. They are whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. Don't rest until you've found your rest in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for its truth. Thank you for the gospel, for an authority that stands outside of us in your word, our understanding guided by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel, the standard by which we are measured. Thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord, that our salvation is settled sealed, and secured in the blood of Jesus. God, I pray for every person listening that they would have absolute assurance of their eternal destiny, that they could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that on the other side of death's threshold that they'll wake up in the presence of Jesus. God, grant it so, and might we live in the light of those joyful tidings Might we depart our assembly this morning with glad hearts at what Jesus has sealed and secured for us. Grant us understanding, a fullness of understanding that we might walk with our heads a little higher in joy and gladness, with our hearts a little fuller, with our song a little louder because of what we have in Jesus. Lord, help us to abide in Him, even as He abides in us. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're listening this morning and you lack the kind of assurance that we're talking about, that we've talked about over the past several minutes, would you reach out to us? Uh, The pastor's numbers are before you on the screen, and we would love nothing more than to hear from you about how the Lord's at work in your life. To hear of ways that we could minister to you and and be of some help and encouragement, uh, you you may know you may not know we've actually conducted a couple of starting point classes over the last few weeks. Uh, starting point is the mandatory class to become a member of the Longview Point family. We've been conducting those by Zoom. That's been going very very well. So we've not stopped or brought to a halt our Uh, membership process if if you're listening this morning and you've been attending Longview Point for some time and are interested in becoming a member of our fellowship reach out to us and let us know about that and uh, we'll communicate the uh, necessary information to you and get you in the next starting point class and help you to work through that process we talked about not doing that but you know people have time on their hands these days so if if you're interested in starting point maybe you're one of those who has been interested for some time but you've not been able to make a class because of scheduling or uh, some hindrance in your uh, personal schedule or life, now would be a good opportunity to do that. Reach out to us and let us know of your desire to do so and we'll get you in a starting point class coming up very, very soon. The work of the kingdom has not been brought to a halt. Uh, we, we, We may be doing social distancing. But the work of kingdom expansion across the street and around the world is an eternal work that will have no end until the son comes to get his bride. Reach out to us and let us know of what the Lord's up to in your life. I want to share with you what I shared with the drive-in service on, on last Sunday, and this is a real concern for me. We're hearing of a handful of financial and physical needs that are arising and, uh, and we're able to meet those needs and we're glad to meet them and I hope that you'll continue to communicate those to us as they come up in your life. But what we're not hearing a whole lot of, but I fear is prevalent, are marriage issues, family issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues. It seems to me that it's easier to talk about the physical needs, the financial needs, these are tangible needs, but, but I, I know that, that just as the Spirit of God has not ceased working in this season, neither has the spirit of Satan. And there are needs that are out there in our body. And, and I, I hope that you won't suppress the reality of a broken situation, but seek the help and the encouragement that the body of Christ is here to, to provide for you. Reach out to us and let us know what's up in your life and how we can pray for you and be of help to you. You can communicate prayer requests, through prayer at longviewpoint.org, and again, we'd love to hear from you there. Uh, Thank you for for being with us this morning. I I want to encourage you to continue uh, to give faithfully. You'll receive or have received by now in your inbox um, a financial update as to where we are, which uh, should include a North American Missions offering update. Um, We intentionally did not set a goal for this year's North American Missions Offering, not knowing at that time uh, how things would be financially. But I I really think that that by the end of NAMO, we had exceeded the the offering goal that we had uh, previously established. That's in your inbox and you'll be able to see where we are as a faith family. Continue to give faithfully. uh, Know that we're busily at work here, doing everything that we can to continue uh, the work of, of ministry, kingdom expansion across the street and around the world. And I hope the same is true for you where you are. Have a blessed day in Jesus, and we'll see you soon.